0: The Laura Murphy Show, episode 57.
1: Welcome to The Laura Murphy Show, the podcast that analyzes financial markets from the perspective of Austrian economics and Nelson Nash's infinite banking concept. Listen and learn as your hosts, Robert Murphy and Carlos Lara, explain how you can be part of building the
0: 10% Welcome everyone to another episode of the Lara Murphy show. I am half of your hosts Bob Murphy and with me as normal is Carlos Lara Carlos how are things in Nashville They're good Bob you doing okay I am uh, getting ready to, to move here at Texas Tech we got to move our offices. I was very clever though. I didn't unpack my books the last time we moved in. So now it's very easy for me to move out. I think ahead. This is called strategic thought. Uh, It's, I understand Carlos, you've been, you've been listening to the past podcast going on walks. Is that correct? I figured out that if I um,
1: turn on one of our podcasts, uh, the walking time goes by a whole lot faster because I get sort of caught up on the, in in the podcast and, uh, I think we usually go for about you know 30 to 40 minutes, and so the other day, uh, I was kind of real happy because I went through two podcasts and realized I'd w- walked for over an hour, so I got my exercise in and
0: listened to some good material on top of that. <laughs> and that's right. You too, folks, if you're just joining the podcast, you should circle back, you can improve your financial situation and your cholesterol count all in one fell swoop, so it's good stuff. Uh, what we're going to be talking about today, folks, is policy loans. And yes, we've, you know, we talk about this thing, of course, in our book and when, in previous podcasts, we've gone through it, but it's, there's no harm in, in hitting things a few times just to make sure they really get driven home. Because even to this day, we still encounter people who are longtime fans of IBC and they, they have misconceptions about policy loans or that they, you know, they've somehow filed away some, some, uh, truism in their mind about what what how IBC works and the nature of policy loans that we realize actually you know you could get in trouble if you don't uh, supplement that with some other considerations. So what we're going to do in this episode is just reiterate what the policy loan is how it's used in IBC and then try to give some uh, considerations to it to make sure you're you're doing it the right way you're thinking about it properly in a conservative fashion. So IBC the infinite banking concept is a way that you can become your own banker. It's like it's a cash flow management system, and the specific mechanism you're using a dividend paying whole life policy. You build up cash surrender value in it, and then when you need access to money, the idea is you don't go to an outside lender. You you could buy a car. A lot of people would just go and get a, you know an auto finance loan from a conventional finance company. And with IBC, you don't need to do that. If you have enough cash surrender value built up in a dividend paying whole life policy, you just take out a policy loan from the insurance company. So let's be clear here what's going on. You've got your, your life insurance policy that's chugging along. It's doing its own thing. You keep making your premium payments if you still contractually have to do that. It's, you know, the the guaranteed cash values are rising. And if you're earning dividends, then you should be rolling those back into the policy. That's still doing what it's doing. And then on the side, you and the insurance company have a deal where you're borrowing money from them. They're giving you a loan at a contractually specified interest rate and the benefits of it. And we'll maybe talk about this later in in this episode. But there's a reason that borrowing from the insurance company is much more advantageous than borrowing from outside lenders. Okay, so there, there's that element. But just to be clear as to economically and legally what's happening. So in particular, you're not, quote, taking money out of your life insurance policy when you engage in a policy loan. It's it's not draining your policy. There's a, there's a lien against it because what happens is your cash surrender value is the collateral on the loan. And so, yes, there's a, there's a lien, if you will, against it. There's an offsetting liability That's, you know, taking the gross cash value and making only the net available to you if you wanted to surrender the policy or if you wanted to borrow more. But the point is you're not literally taking money out of the policy with the policy loan. All right. So that's the mechanism. So the idea is, again, this is this is what Nelson Nash conceived of when he had his epiphany in the early 80s is realizing that, oh, yes, there's these whole life insurance policies. They have this feature that you can take out a policy loan that's that's been known for over a century at that point. But Nelson was the one who realized, ah, if you really amplified that and and sort of made that a staple of your financial plan or your financial strategy, then in a sense, you could become your own banker. You're not literally setting up a bank in a legal sense. You're just, you're funding this asset, a whole life policy that then you can use as the collateral when you want to borrow money against it. So that's, that's the idea. And, uh, I guess I'll I'll stop there. And, and Carlos, what are your thoughts on this? Well, the first
1: thought that comes to my mind, Bob, is uh, the title of Nelson's book. is Is such a great title, you know? Uh, Becoming your own banker. I mean, who would think the idea that you can become your own banker was so? Uh, I don't know. That title is really what, what led me to want to know more about what it, what it is that Nelson's talking about in his book. I remember I've told this story before uh, that I saw Nelson's book laying uh, on, on the desk of a of a client, and uh, I asked the person uh, because the title, you know, got my attention: "Becoming Your Own Banker." and he he said he didn't know what the book was about that he hadn't read it and that if if I wanted it I could take it and so I took it home with me and and began to read the book and um it was a very intriguing book it's not that long you know and most of you have probably have a copy of it by now if you, if you don't you should get one and it's probably about 90 pages long but um As I've also mentioned in some of our podcasts, that back in the 80s, uh, during the 1986 tax reform, you know, I went through a a pretty severe financial reversal. And that's when I first began to come to grips with booms and busts. And uh, I went on a quest to find out what caused these things because. I knew that I hadn't really done anything, and all of a sudden it seemed like the, the ground just shifted underneath me uh, during that period of time. So the idea that you could uh, move yourself away from the commercial banking system and literally become your own banker was a very intriguing you know, idea for me. Of course, what we know is that commercial banks You know, expand and contract credit. You know, the Fed does it through commercial banks. It's all done through lending. But when you're a businessman and you're running a business, you know, dealing with a commercial bank can become quite a stranglehold. And in my line of work for so many years, I realized that it was not the safest thing to do uh, in getting involved with commercial banks, especially when we see. The Fed start to lower interest rates the way they do, and they start making credit very easy, and that's setting up a boom. And then eventually we had the bust, like we saw happen in 2008. So it was 15 years ago that I came on this book, read it, and uh, was quite confused by it. And, and I know you were too, Bob. At first, you had
0: trouble with it. You've You've said so. Uh, hey, can I, let me, let me stop you for a second here, Carl, just because you know, I've heard you tell a story, but this was so like what, early 2000s is when you encountered it? Yes. Yeah. So can I ask you, so you had just gone through the dot com boom and bust. And at that point, did you, did you know enough Austrian economics that that like you were, that didn't surprise you as much as the. Boom and bust in the, you know, late 70s and, early, and then the, the one in the mid 80s or?
1: Yes, I was getting a little bit more more of a firm grasp, you know, on that. I didn't quite, you know, fully understand it, but I had enough going there that I understood a little bit more of the mechanics of what was going on. And um, you know was, was so so yes it was is uh, it was around around that period of time that's correct
0: because yeah let me just yeah for the listeners who have never heard uh, and this is why you guys should circle back and listen to those opening podcast episodes in addition to getting your long walk in is that's how Carlson and I met that he contacted me when I was living in Nashville at the time I had written a study guide to one of Murray Rothbard I think it was to Man Economy and State. And Carlos was using that because he was working on a PowerPoint to explain fraction reserve banking to people. So Carlos had independently discovered Austrian economics. And I just love this aspect of it. Not because he was ideological, you know, and had this ax to grind and, you know, love the free market. And so this theory must be true because it exonerate or, you know, it validates my beliefs and, you know, there must be, the, no, as a, as a business person, he got crushed by the business cycle and he went out on a quest to figure out why did that happen? I can't just be caught like this again And then he thought that the Austrian explanation was the most plausible. So I I just love that story.
1: Yeah. And of course, where I felt the real stranglehold was when, you know, credit contracts during the bust period, obviously it shows itself in how the commercial banks deal with you. And it's a a pretty aggressive, (laughs) it's a pretty aggressive thing. So, you know, thank goodness I escaped from, you know, something that could have been a lot worse than it was, but... Uh, don't didn't want to get near that kind of thing again. But anyway, so here comes along this book entitled Becoming Your Own Banker, and I'm reading it, and I'm frustrated by it because the book, for those of you who have read it, uh, know that uh, Nelson Nash is talking about life insurance, and at the same time, he's talking about banking. And he keeps going from one to the other, and you you get sort of a little confused as to what is he really trying to say here? And so I, uh, noticed that the book had a phone number on it with, you know, and that Nelson actually lived in Birmingham. So I called him up and uh, set up a date to visit him. And, you know, that Birmingham is not that far, you know, from Nashville. So I drove the, I guess it's about a three hour drive to go meet Nelson Nash for the first time. (laughs) And it was, uh, and what I went to find out was, uh, I wanted him to explain to me how this worked because I was clearly having trouble. Mm -hmm. Okay, that was was my reasoning for for doing it. And uh, I'll never forget it. We talked, Bob, for about two hours. And honest to goodness, I, I just could not get it. I mean, I just couldn't follow what he was trying to tell me. And, you know, Nelson knew that I wasn't getting it. But, you know, he was very patient with me. And so we were in a coffee shop, and he asked me if I had noticed the shopping center, uh, strip shopping center that was there close to the coffee shop as as I had come into to the coffee shop. And, I, and he said, the one with the bank on it, did you happen to notice that one? And I said, yeah, you could miss it. Very uh, prime piece of property there. He says, well, you know, you know how Nelson talks in that that Nelson Nash sort of way. He says, well, you know, I bought the land where that bank is now sitting on. I, I bought that land, you know, years ago. And so in my head, I was thinking, wow, you, you made a nice purchase because it's a very prime piece of property there. He says, yeah, it, it is. He says, you know, it's amazing to me, Nelson, that they, they've gone off and built a shopping center and they put a bank on top of it.
0: <laughs> and I
1: said, yeah. Um, he said, well, you know, I, uh, I bought that piece of property for approximately $200,000 and I sold it here recently. For nine hundred and seventy thousand dollars, and I went, "Wow, man, you really, you really did well with that investment, Mister Nash." Mm-hmm. I said, and, "You know," and I was thinking about that correlation. He bought it for two hundred, and he sells it for nine hundred seventy thousand dollars, and he said, "Yeah, I did. What do you think I did with the money?" I mean, he asked me that question. He, just like that, just out of no, out of blue, you know, he said, what do you think I did with the money? And of course I had no idea Bob, what he was talking about. I mean, I mean, how would I know, mm-hmm. you know, and coming from the, the financial world that I came from, you know, I, I was thinking in my head, maybe he bought another piece of property, more real estate or he bought bonds, mutual funds, you know, I just didn't know. And uh, Nelson could see that I was struggling to understand, and he said, "You know, Carlos, money has to reside somewhere." And I said, "Yes, sir, you're right. Money does have to reside somewhere." So, what do you think I did with the money? He says. <laughs> and I, of course, I'm I'm getting embarrassed now because I I don't know where he's going with this. Mm-hmm. But then he says to me very directly, he says. I paid off policy loans. And Bob, (laughs) I know our podcast is on policy loans right now, but when he said that, that flew over my head. I had no idea what he was talking about (laughs) or what the relevance of that was. That's how much I didn't understand IBC at that time 15 years ago. And when we were done... Even after he told me that that's what he did with it, you know, I just was very discouraged that I had driven three hours, I spent two hours with the man, and I still didn't know any more about IBC than when I first started going there. And it wasn't until I was about halfway back to Nashville that the thought came through my mind that I said, you know, he said he bought the thing for 200, the piece of 200,000. Then years later, he sold it for, Nine hundred and seventy thousand dollars. I said, Mr. Nash had almost a million dollars out in loans. See, that's the part that I was focused on right the the, uh, the the size of the loans he had out, and that's about as far as i uh, I went with it, and it was it probably wasn't until three years later. When I finally began to understand IBC, that that's when I realized that, and you know, what you just said in the introduction here, that whole life insurance policies have this contractual right where people can borrow money from their cash value. They're getting the money from the life insurance company, and the life insurance company is, is taking a security interest in the cash value up to the amount of that loan, which is absolutely correct. But the terms of those loans, just by what Nelson was telling me, I came to understand that you don't find terms like that anywhere in the financial world, where you have that kind of flexibility. Because in reality, you know, the the life insurance company is not hounding you to pay back the loans or the interest. But nevertheless, there is an incentive to pay back those loans. Simply because when you pay back those loans, in a sense, you're refunding the policy all over again. The security interest on the cash value is removed, and there you have all this much more available cash to work with. And so that was what Nelson was trying to tell me, you see, is that he borrowed from his policy or policies and had run up close to a million dollars in debt. And then years later, he had this windfall. He sold that piece of real estate. And he had a place to put that money. As that's what Nelson was trying to say to me. Money's got to reside somewhere. Nelson had already realized that the place where money should reside is inside one of these whole life policies. <laughs> it should be the ultimate warehouse for your money. So he simply took that money and paid those loans back off again. And now he has a million dollars worth of cash value to reuse again for other ventures and other opportunities.
0: Yeah. And it's, you know, on the one hand, I think we feel silly like, well, you know, how does someone not get this? But again, you were obviously a successful business consultant at that point, you know, working with people with high net incomes and assets and everything. And yet, even when he told you point blank, you were driving and took you a while for it to sink and what was he trying to get across there? So <laughs> it, so we shouldn't shy away from just stating what now in retrospect is obvious. And that's also, folks, what we are trying to do in chapter seven in particular of the case for IBC, the new book that we have out with Nelson, is to get that point across to say, because we still encounter business owners, they're just, they just don't see it the right way. And to, to realize that, well, yeah, if you... In a, as Carl says, in a sense, if you're you sell a piece of property for a million dollars, you might think, oh, gee, well, I don't have a big enough policy. You know, I I would have to go get underwritten for get more life insurance. Well, no, if you have one or more other policies already outstanding that has a million dollars in policy loans that are rolling, you can pay those off, and that's effectively as if you're increasing your cash value by you know funding a new one because it's it's reducing the lien against those things. So. With all this stuff, let me maybe take a moment and why, why don't we just right now, while we're, we're talking about that, make sure we're not leaving people with the wrong impression. Sometimes people hear that stuff, especially when we say things like, oh, you know what? And the life insurance company doesn't even care if you pay the loan back. So what does that mean? We're saying that from the life insurance company's point of view, You know, they've got premium payments coming in. They got to put that money to work buying assets on their portfolio because, you know, somebody dies. They got to pay the death benefit. And one of the things the life insurance company can do is to give a policy loan out, right? From their point of view, that's an asset, right? They lend money and they're earning interest on it. And that is the safest thing they can do with their money. From the life insurance company's perspective, a policy loan is the safest thing investment possible or asset possible, if you want to think of it that way, because the borrower cannot possibly default because they, the life insurance company are the ones guaranteeing the collateral on that thing. The borrower either, you know, even if never pays a cent on that thing and it's rolling over exponentially growing at interest, either the borrower at some point will die, in which case the life insurance company owes the death benefit. And then they'll just subtract whatever the outstanding policy loan balance is to get square or, the borrower who controls that policy will surrender the policy, in which case, again, they owe the cash surrender value, but they'll first pay off the policy loan before giving the net residual back to the person who surrendered the policy. So either way, the life insurance company knows it's getting paid back. It just doesn't know when. Whereas, you know, with a treasury or something, technically Uncle Sam could default. All right, so that's the, that's why the life insurance company is so lenient, if you want to put it that way, with the terms. If you take out a policy loan, they don't run your credit score. They don't check what your income is. They don't ask you, what are you going to do with the money? They don't say, well, what's the payback schedule going to be here? They don't care about any of that stuff the way a bank would, even for a highly collateralized loan, like a home equity loan or something. You know, if you're borrowing just a pittance of what your house market value is, the bank is still going to ask you those questions because they want to. They don't want to have to kick you out of your house to get paid back. Whereas a life insurance company, it's not a big deal to do a subtraction problem if they still need to pay themselves back before they either pay a death benefit or a cash surrender value. Okay, so that, that's the, those are all the good things, and that's why we stress, that, you know, it makes sense to do your cash flow management using this approach that Nelson Nash has conceived of rather than other more conventional ways of doing it. But with all that, let's make sure we don't give the wrong impression, to use the cliched phrase, with freedom comes responsibility. We're not, you know, it's not magic, so if you are taking out big loans, like, like let's say you're Nelson Nash, he knew what he was doing. He knew he had all these assets, including a lot of, you know, real estate property that at some point, you know, was, he was going to sell for a lot more than he paid for it. And so it was okay in his personal financial picture there that he had these large policy loans rolling over at interest. Cause again, those interest payments, they go to the insurance company, right? It, there's ways of, of explaining IBC sometimes the newcomers and some people think they're paying the policy loan payments into their life insurance policy. And make sure you understand legally and economically what's happening. The policy loan, the life insurance company gives it to you on the side. So strictly speaking, you are paying the interest and the principal back to the life insurance company. Okay. So that's still happening. So if you're if you're not servicing that, if you're not paying even the interest, those things are growing exponentially and that's a growing lean against your policies that are also growing exponentially, right? <laughs> so there's, there's you know, two sides of the coin there. So my point is just make sure you know that, make sure you realize that. And the last thing I'll say here is when the life insurance company lets you borrow money at some point, technically they can't tell you with certainty what's your picture going to be like in 20 years, because they don't know what interest rates are going to be like, right? So the, the amount of interest they're charging you, there's a formula. So they can tell you, this is the rule we will use to know what the policy loan interest rate is, but it's based off of, you know, some other market indicators. So they, right now, they don't know what that thing's going to be 25 years from now. So those things, you know, they're, they're conservative projections and they try to be accurate. But my point is, strictly speaking, they can't tell you with certainty if you're going to borrow money right now. They can't say, "Oh, thirty years from now, this is what your position will," because they don't know what the dividends are going to be in the meantime, and they don't know what interest rates are going to do over the next thirty years, right? So, all the reason to say if you take out a big policy loan and just let it roll, you want to check in on that thing. You, you know, so don't don't think, "Oh no, it's you know everything's fine. There's nothing that can go wrong here." You want to make sure you pay attention to that if you're not if you take out a huge policy loan that we're we're not saying go ahead and take out huge policy loans and then don't even worry about it because this is magic. That's certainly not what we're saying. We're saying, depending on your situation, yes, you can let these things roll because then when you later on have a windfall or have more income coming in or what have you, now you've got a place to put the money by paying down these loans. All right. So anyway, I, I maybe Carl's, do you want to try hitting this in your word just to make sure we're sure, giving people sure,
1: the, sure. both sides of the coin? So, so as, as a, as a businessman, as a business owner, how I finally, you know, was able to see this is recognizing that what this is, is a cash flow management system. I mean, this is what you're using the whole life policy for is a cash flow management system. Now, if you're a business owner, you're listening to this podcast, you you know that managing cash flow is probably the number one thing that we do. Uh, we never take our eyes off the cash flow management aspect of running the business so if you're using um a whole life policy you know intertwined with your business uh, as a cash flow management system then you don't ever want to take your eyes off of that that piece of it and it's going to involve the taking and re uh taking out loans and repaying back loans so um I think that we need to stress that because it is a cash flow management system this is not an insurance contract that you just, you know, purchase and then you stick the policy in the drawer and then you forget about it. I mean, this is something you you have to monitor all the time because you're using it. You're utilizing it. This is not an accumulation process where you're just accumulating money. So so called strictly speaking just saving money. No, you're you're accumulating but utilizing it at the very same time. And so uh, you're right, Bob. You 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 don't ever want to take your eyes off of it, you know, it's something that you're managing. And so you should be very cognizant of the fact there is interest rolling and that maybe you have some months or years maybe in which you can't reduce the loans down with principal maybe you have enough to reduce it by just simply paying the interest payment that that will help you know sort of curtail some of the the swelling debt amount until your windfall comes in now this is all language that's very applicable to business owners and how they operate this is why I keep stressing that business owners see IBC quicker because once they understand that it's a cash flow management system and they understand that they can utilize these policy loans in this way, I mean, they they get it much, much faster. Even though I was slow to learn, I mean, I do see it very clearly now. Um, Nelson's book talks about the human factors being a, a big deterrent to seeing IBC. And if I could just sort of group them all together, He's in essence saying that for the most part, there's a lot of financial ignorance out in the world. And many people just don't even have the discipline to save money. So if you're dealing with people that don't have the discipline just to save money, then you're probably dealing with people that don't have the discipline to manage cash flow. <laughs> and so it's very important that uh Whether you're managing a household or you're managing a business, I mean, you're always utilizing cash flow first and foremost, if you just stop and think about it. What households and businesses use principally and primarily as their cash flow system is the commercial banking system. But because of things that have happened you know, beginning with 2008 and going back all the way to my own history in 1987, dealing with commercial banks has has gotten extremely risky, riskier than ever. And so the idea of weaning yourself away from utilizing the commercial bank as much as we do is actually a sound move to make. And IBC obviously is the ideal alternate bank, you know, to use. But Bob, what you're trying to stress is that, and I, I am too, is that you need to pay back these loans, okay? You, you, you need to strive to pay them back because you benefit when you do. Now, if you get way up in years, you may not want to do that. But your, your cash value and your death benefit may be so large that it won't matter, but one thing to keep in mind is you don't ever want to surrender these policies you the, the goal is to die with the policy in force. and the main reason we're stressing that is that it's very possible, very, very possible that if you if you're managing these things in the way that I'm describing, you're going to wind up taking a lot more money out of these things than you put in. and so, you want to make sure you don't ever surrender these policies because if you do, then you may have a tax consequence at the end of that. So the goal is always, you know, not to surrender these policies. And uh, if you don't want to deal with the with the premium payment, you know, in in those later years, you can restructure the policies in such a way so that the components of the policy itself can continue to make the premium payments. So those are a couple of other
0: points to keep in mind uh, to add to what you've already said, Bob. Yeah, let me. um, So I think it's clear from the business owner perspective that they usually get what we're saying pretty clearly, but maybe I'll translate it into the perspective of just a a regular household buying a car. Maybe we can end on this note. and, And this is something that obviously was a staple of Nelson's original book, Becoming Your Own Banker, where he talks about different ways of buying a car. So normal household, you go to uh, buy a car from a conventional, you know, and you're financing it in a conventional way. They give you, maybe it's a five-year payback plan. You're paying so much each month, making a quote car payment. And what happens, you know, you, you lose your job and all of a sudden you can't make those monthly car payments. Well, they might start sending you some warning letters, but eventually they're going to come take your car back, right? Because the car, the vehicle was the collateral on that loan ultimately. So you fall behind they're going to take your car. And then the issue is, well, gee, how am I supposed to get another job if I can't go out to interviews? And, you know, so they, it could just be a cascading nightmare there where one problem piles up on another. In contrast, it's a much more peaceful, secure way of living if you have taken out a whole life policy properly structured. You fund the thing, you build up enough cash value in there so that when you go to buy the car, from the dealer's perspective, you're paying cash. You know from your perspective, you're you're taking on a policy loan from the life insurance company that hits your checking account and then you're you know writing a check for the car. So from the dealer's perspective, you're paying cash for it. So that's fine. And now, what you're doing is you know what Nelson would say is, you want to make quote, car payments to yourself. and what you're doing is you're paying back you know the the amount you would spend every month that you would have done if you went through a conventional lender. go ahead and devote that each month to knocking out. This policy loan that you've taken from the life insurance company, and so you know the, when Nelson wrote the book, it, it was you know interest rates were normal at that point, and so the policy loan interest rate was lower than what the normal financier would have charged you, and so actually you're getting ahead of yourself, so you knocked out the policy loan quicker than you would have knocked out the uh, the conventional car loan, and then Nelson says no, but keep paying it mentally. So that you end up funding your policy more, right? So if you read Nelson's book, that's what's going on there. So it's it's a way of you know you're not like using that extra freed up money to go buy ice cream or whatever. You're actually being real disciplined and and not cheating yourself. That's where he you know it's, it's what he means by saying playing honest banker. But the other element there is like in terms of the peace of mind. And why would you want to in general be using policy loans for your need for finance rather than outside lenders? Is this a peace of mind? That yeah, same scenario. Oh geez, you lose your job. Well, if you're just quote paying off your your policy loans with your car payments, then it's fine. You can you can go ahead and miss it. It's, you know, there's nobody's going to show up and take your car because the car is not the collateral on this loan. It's your cash surrender value. So yeah, if you happen to get hit by a bus and die, and you were the insured person in this life insurance policy, that's where the you know they're going to get get it there right? They're going to settle up. And so whoever the beneficiary is, is going to get a lower check amount because you had that outstanding car loan. But the point is no one's going to come and take your vehicle the way they would if it was a conventional auto loan. So that gives you the peace of mind, right? So that's, you know, if someone's asking me, well, gee, even with the crazy interest rate environment, does it make sense for me to buy a car with IBC? That's one of the things I would stress is to say, look at the peace of mind. This gives you you know, you you own your stuff free and clear because these policy loans, the collateral there is technically the cash surrender value. It's not your business assets or what what have you. But what we're also stressing here is to say, wait a minute, you know, don't think that this is literally, you know, magic. It's not that you're getting cars for free. So if you never paid that back, well then all the hard work you did building up the cash value of that policy now you just frittered that away by buying this car by you know taking out a policy loan and then not ever addressing it so you have the freedom to do that and, and you know there it is a freedom to say if you don't want to make the the payment for several months until you get a new job go ahead nobody's going to show up knocking at your door that does give you relief and it helps you plan your life better and you're not having to make crazy decisions because of the short-term liquidity crunch but on the other hand don't extrapolate from that and think you can go around buying cars and never pay back the loans. And it's not going to catch up with you in some way, right? It's it's obviously, if you buy a car for $20,000, you're $20,000 down. I mean, it might be worth it. It might be a good move. The car is probably worth it to you, but don't think that it's free just because you did it with a policy loan like that. (laughs) And I know this is basic stuff, but again, we've talked to people that sometimes they get this in their head. They hear, you don't have to pay the policy loan back and they think that means there's no consequences to buying cars whatsoever. Clearly that's not right. And that's not, you know, IBC is not trying to tell you that that's the way to think about it. So again, uh, we just want to make sure there's no misunderstandings here. You have the freedom to not pay back your policy loans and let them roll for certain business owners or households that have a very specific, you know, income stream that they expect over a time horizon. That might be a great idea. It might make perfect sense, but don't think it means you can just ignore policy loans and there's no consequences. That's not what we're saying.
1: Yeah. And I might add, too, Bob, you know, picking up on one of Nelson's main principles is that you have to think long range. You know, that's one of the things he stresses all the time. You, you really do. So when you're considering IBC, as being a part of your own household or or your business. Obviously, we always point to our authorized IBC practitioners, uh, graduates from the course uh, that you and I put together with Nelson. And these individuals uh, can be found at the Nelson Nash Institute website. And and there you can find a practitioner near you, of course. So this is what you would do initially to try to get your, your policy in place. And uh, an authorized IBC practitioner is going to design a policy that that fits your particular financial situation. And so he's going to make sure it's properly designed. He's going to make sure it's a it's a dividend paying whole life policy from the right company. And uh, all of those things are very important, but. In a sense, if you're looking at this right from the very beginning and you're thinking long range, you are bringing in this as a cash flow management system. You know, Nelson says, keeps stressing this is not about life insurance necessarily. The death benefit is certainly there, and it's a big asset, and it's a huge plus. But he's trying to stress that, you know, this is the, the core of your entire, you know, financial dealings in life. And so you're you're taking it on as a very long-term arrangement. And because you're looking at it as a cash flow system. So in the initial stages, of course, you're working with an authorized IBC practitioner, get you completely set up. And of course, he'll be there to provide you guidance, you know, as you're, moving along, you know, uh, working your cash flow system, you're asking questions and you, you, and he's there to provide the answers since he's the individual that you that you uh, started working with and are working with on an ongoing basis. But long range is long range. All kinds of things can happen. As I heard Bob said earlier today, you know, the, the life insurance company can't predict what's going to happen 35, 40 years from now. And so it's important to realize that you, the policy owner, because you're managing your own cash flow, you're the one that's taking out the loans or making arrangements for taking out the loans and paying them back. I mean, your your authorized IBC practitioner could have died, you know, by 30 years from now. And so, but as you become well-versed in managing cash flow using IBC policies in this way, you will become better at taking out these loans, setting up arrangements to pay them back, and even along the way, uh, asking for in force illustrations from the insurance company to be able to look 10, 15 years into the future based on how much you have out in policy loans now and what it looks like going forward so that you'll be able to make adjustments. You know, maybe pay down some loans or pay down some interest. So what I'm trying to get across is that you're managing this. At the end, you're the one managing these policies, and you're the one that's responsible. And if you understand what you're doing here, you will obviously manage it wisely, which will include you know paying down loans when you want them to be paid and taking out loans when you want to take out a loan.
0: Yeah, good stuff there and uh I think we probably need to wrap this episode up here. So again, folks, with freedom comes responsibility. We're just trying to balance it and make sure as we stress all the benefits and the the freedom that comes with buying things using the IBC way of finance that you recognize, of course, if you're spending $20,000 on something, your financial assets go down $20,000. <laughs> That's not magic. Uh, it's just a, a more convenient, flexible way of financing things, but make sure you're keeping track of that. If you got these, if you got large loans outstanding, you know, look at those once in a while, make sure your financial plan still makes sense. Uh, for more information, obviously we encourage you to get our book at wwwthecase And when you're ready to consult a practitioner, someone who's graduated from our training program, you want to go to infinitebanking.org slash finder. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next time. You've just
1: finished another episode of The Laura Murphy Show. Be sure to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues to do your part in building
0: the 10%. The Laura Murphy Show is provided with the understanding that the staff and contributors of LauraMurphy.com are not here and engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult your own professional tax, legal, or financial advisor.